church, Lord. We thank you for all the people that are here, Lord. We thank you for our members that are back, and we thank you for visiting this morning, Lord. And it's been a rough week in Ireland, Lord. We, we thank you so much for watching over us and blessing us, and we thank you for your plan, Lord. We ask that you watch over us this week as we uh, start back to school and get back into a routine. And I know lots of people are coming back from summer travel and all the things that have been going on, Lord. We pray that we can refocus. Most of all, refocus on you. We pray that we can uh, be lights for you and be examples for you to our community and to our friends and to our family, Lord. Um, pray you be with Ben this morning as uh, he brings your word to us, Lord. Open our hearts and our minds to hear your word and, and apply it to our lives this week, Lord, and to, uh, to spread your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Tanner. First Corinthians is uh, where we will be. We're going to be in chapter 4, verse 14. Uh, so, so growing up, as if, if you remember here, you probably know my, my dad passed away when I was very young, uh, when I was 10 years old. Um, and so it's it's tragic. My grandpa, uh, his dad, passed away not that long ago, five six years ago or so. And uh, we were living in Spearman, Texas, which is you can throw a rock and hit Oklahoma. So we were a little bit too close to Oklahoma for comfort. Uh, it's why we're wired just a little bit weird. It's the Oklahoma influence on us. We're hoping to get it out soon, but it just you know Oklahoma just sticks and you can't get it off. It's that red dirt. One of the reasons I think the Lord sent us to Oklahoma. My grandpa was in Springfield, Colorado, and it was a two-hour trip uh, to, to where he was at. So for the last month or so of his life, I got to go visit him pretty frequently. I got to hang out with him. Um, and, and what I learned, uh, there's one restaurant in Springfield that we would eat at, and that's where, like, the Moore family was at. And so I was related to the people who owned it. They knew that we were related. I didn't know that we were related. And so they were telling me stories of my, my dad and my grandpa. And one of the stories that the guy who cooked it, and he had a, I also learned this, he had a brisket sandwich. It was a grilled cheese with brisket in the middle of it. And I've been trying to get somebody in town to make it because it was delicious. Um, that's neither here nor there. That's just an extra little piece. I was eating that one day, and the guy was talking to me. He's like a second or third cousin, and he was telling me stories about my dad when they were younger. Uh, my grandpa owned the lumber yard in town, and so what this guy my second, third cousin, whatever he was, and my dad would do is they would fill up water balloons, they would get on top of the lumber yard, and then the highway that ran through Springfield, they would throw water balloons on the cars that were below. Well, they hit a police car one day, <laughs> which did not go well for them. Uh, and that guy, I remember him coming to me and he saying he was grounded for so long. It was months, years, as well. he was still grounded, and he was well into his 60s at this point. But he said what he remembered was the next day my dad was out. My grandpa didn't even punish him. He let him just go and, and run around and, and kind of be free. I thought about that this week because the text that Paul is giving us is it's Paul finishing up this, this big, massive thought to introduce the book of Corinthians. And what Paul's going to do is he's, he's pulled his authority as an apostle, and now he's going to pull his authority as a father of this church. And what we're going to see Paul do is he's going to throw around his weight as a father who loves them and a father who is concerned for them. 
It's going to make sure that they understand who they're supposed to follow and who they're not supposed to follow. So let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 through, 7, uh, 14 through 21, and then we'll pray and, and dive in. I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. For you have many countless instructors in Christ, but you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to intimidate, to imitate me. This is why I have sent Timothy to you. He is my dearly loved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you about my ways in Christ Jesus, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Now, some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk, but the power of those who are arrogant. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. So what do you want? Should I come to you with a rod, or in love, in a spirit of gentleness? Let's pray. Father, help us to understand that you are Father. And that the role of, of Father God is something you have, have given to us. It's who you've revealed yourself to be for us. And that means, God, that, that you do love us and that you do care for us. And that you do warn us of things that are going to harm us and things get, that can lead to destruction in, 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 in ways that are not best for us. And you encourage us, God, to follow the right examples. And we also understand, God, that you are Father and you are King. And the kingdom that you're a kingdom, a king of is not some wimpy secondary kingdom, but it's a kingdom of power that will not be defeated, that your reign will never end, that you are king forever and ever. Help us, God, to reflect on these things as we walk through your text of Scripture. Speak to our hearts. Encourage us where we need encouragement. Convict us where we need conviction. And help us to lean, to grow in your gospel more and more. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, let's reread 1 Corinthians 4, uh, verse 14. I'm not writing these things to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. For you have many countless instructors in Christ, but you don't have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. This is why I've sent Timothy to you. He is my dearly loved and faithful child in the Lord. He will remind you about my ways in Christ Jesus, just as I teach everywhere in every church. So Paul starts this, this section off, this text off, uh, by reminding these people that he is the one who planted this church years ago. That he spent... 18 months with these people, discipling them, sharing the gospel with them, trying to help them understand what's going on. And over the course of time, as, they've, as, the, as Paul's been distant physically from them, right? he's written other letters, but he's been distant from them. They've wear, uh, varied in their path. They've, they've gone astray a little bit. And so remember, if you, the text before this, Paul was a little sarcastic with these people. right? He's like, you're so strong and I'm weak. Do you remember this text now? You're, we're hungry and we're thirsty, but you're well-fed. We're, we're fools, but you're so wise. It's Paul being sarcastic with these people, saying, look at who your allies are. The apostles that have come to you, the, those who proclaim the word of God, those that you know are believers in Jesus and are teaching about Christ to you, this is how we are, and then look how you're living. You've aligned with the world, not with the people of God, not with the Father himself. And so Paul 
shifts here. He says, I'm not trying to shame you. It's an honor and shame culture that they're living in. This was a big deal. I'm not, I'm not trying to shame you. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm not trying to make you be belittled. What I'm trying to do is to warn you because you're dear children. We understand, especially if you're a father or a parent, the deep concern and care that you have for your kids. That you want to encourage your kids. You want to see them do best, but you also can see things that they might not be able to fully see. And you want to warn them and help them to see that this path is not going to lead you to what you're wanting it to lead you to. That it leads you to destruction. And so Paul's saying, you're my dear children. He could have called them all sorts of things. Dear children is the phrase he uses. He says, you have countless instructors in, in, in Christ. If you have, uh, the, I preach from the CSB now, used to do the ESV, uh, they say countless. But if you have the King James, it probably says 10,000. The, the word there is identical, right? The idea is not <laughs> count all of your instructors. It's like when we say a billion. There's a billion people in here. There's a million whatever. It's this figure of speech. It means a lot. And he says, instructors in Christ. This is different than a teacher. These instructors were, were kind of like a, a, a babysitter or a nanny. They would watch after your kids. They were supposed to teach them morals. They were supposed to teach them manners. If you read some of the ancient literature that's written about these instructors that come across, they're, they're sometimes they're beloved and sometimes they're made fun of a lot. There's kind of this, this real weird group of people that's here. It's a love-hate relationship with them. And the reason why it's a love-hate relationship with them because if you had a good instructor, they did a great job. Your kids were very moral. They had good manners. But if they didn't care a whole lot about it, then they wouldn't teach your kids the things that they're supposed to be teaching them. And so this is Paul saying, you've got all of these people speaking into your life. You've got all of these instructors all around you that are teaching you these morals, that are teaching you these things in Christ Jesus, but you don't have many fathers. You don't have somebody who's going to love you with that fatherly care, who's going to love you with that fatherly concern, that you're going to look up to as somebody who's a spiritual leader of your faith. He says, I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. What that probably means is Paul personally led many of these people to salvation. That he was their spiritual father in the sense that he shared the gospel with them and that's when they repented of their sins. That's when they turned to Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, I urge. I urge you to imitate me. There's, there's more of this that he'll press on later in, in the book. I don't know about you, but that frightens me. Do I want people to imitate me? Am I living a life where I would feel comfortable like the Apostle Paul is saying, imitate me because I'm imitating Christ? In fact, Paul tells us this is why he sent Timothy. Timothy's a disciple of Paul, a spiritual child of Paul. And Paul is so comfortable with Timothy that he's discipled him enough that Paul says, I sent Timothy to you, not so that Timothy will teach you Timothy's ways, but because he was a dearly loved and a faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you. They've already been taught these things. He will remind you about my ways in Christ Jesus, just as I teach everywhere and in every church. So what Paul is saying then is this is not location-specific things for First Baptist Corinth. 
that what Timothy is going to remind these people of, what Paul has already taught these people, is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that is for everywhere and every church, throughout space, throughout time. That these things remain true despite what cultural things might be around us. And there's certainly things that we have to take into place and take into account when God, right? First Baptist Ira is going to be a lot different than First Baptist Corinth. Right? We buy the good coffee. I don't know what First Baptist Corinth did. But there's certainly things that we as a local church are going to do because of our location that's going to help us reach our community better. But the ways that Paul has said that Timothy is teaching, the ways that Paul laid in, in my ways in Christ Jesus are things that we do not change. It's making much of Jesus. The gospel is central no matter where the Lord has placed you. That Paul's desire in, in this letter and that we can see with a lot of what he's saying is see, to see the Corinthians live life in a way that accords with the faith that they, they claim in Jesus. See, there's some interesting things we see when we're talking about here. When we think about discipleship, when we think about following after Jesus Christ, what Paul is telling us is there's two things that go together. Right doctrine, teach these things everywhere. And right practice, that that doctrine is lived out. It's not just something that you keep in an ivory tower. I think it's interesting that Paul sends Timothy to them. What we see is ideas or teachings or even letters can, can push somebody, they can grow somebody, they can challenge us to be disciples, but there's something about having somebody physically there to make disciples, as the Great Commission calls us to, that matters. The discipleship is difficult from a distance. This is why Paul is, is the exception, not the rule in the New Testament. The, the rule in the New Testament is you have local pastors who are in your church, who know you, who care for you, who walk with you through life. They're not distant. They're right up front. And they're meant to disciple, to grow, to share the gospel with those who are unbelievers so that they might repent and turn to Jesus in faith and to disciple those who are found so that they might right, repent of sin and grow in the Lord more. But it's hard to do that when they're distant. I think this is, this is part of Paul's heart when he talks about the fatherly love that he has for this church. The love that Paul lists for them is not uh, like a brotherly love. It, it's a deeper love than that. It's a love that cares mostly about the, sub, the, the object of the love. He's trying to serve those people in the church. And what he does in a loving way is he tells them, this is who you should be following. We'll see in just a second. He's going to get on to some people and call them out in a way that's kind of uncomfortable. But this love that he has is a gentle love in that it, it's gently warning them, this is not a path you need to go on, while at the same time it's a firm love that's unmovable. It's a love that is demanding, not just in words, but in actions. The hardest place to make disciples is in your home. 
And the reason why is your kids or your spouse or whoever you're trying to disciple sees you all the time. They see the good, they see the bad, they see the ugly. If you leave your house and your words act like gospel words, but your actions at home are not gospel actions, you're not discipling anybody to Christ. You can teach right doctrine. You can hold to the things that are true. But if the life that you live doesn't match up to those things, what you're telling the world and what you're telling those closest to you is these are the things we say, but that's not really what we believe. It's hypocrisy. And the call of the gospel is not that you and I are perfect. Praise the Lord. The call of the gospel is you're not perfect. Jesus is perfect. He died in your place. Trust in Jesus. Let his perfection carry over you and grow you in him. So that when you sin at your house against your kids or your spouse or whoever it is, it's not something that you hide. It's something that you repent of in front of your kids and your spouse and whoever it is. They don't need you to be the Savior. They need you to point to the Savior and remind them that you're as much of a sinner as they are and that you need Jesus just like they do. That's a fatherly love. That's a fatherly care. Verse 18. Now some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk, but the power of those who are arrogant. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you want? Should I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? So we kind of get to this this heart that, that Paul is getting to, is that there's a group of people that he calls arrogant. But you know in the Bible, nobody who's called arrogant is considered somebody you should emulate or good. It's always bad. This is what Paul is getting to. He said, there's some arrogant people who don't think I'm going to come to you. Remember, discipleship, it's difficult to follow a father who's distant. Discipleship is hard to do from a distance. So there's people who are like, Paul's way over there. We're way over here. We're going to do what we want because Paul's not going to come back anyways. And Paul says, oh, I'm going to come if the Lord wills. He throws that caveat in, which is always a good caveat to have. Paul wants to. He wants to show up and he wants to straighten things out. And if the Lord wills, he will do so. And I love what he says. We're going to dive beyond just the talk. We're going to get to the power of what these people are actually saying, those arrogant people. This is the key. Paul says, because the kingdom of God is not a kingdom of just talk. It's of power. Paul is lovingly going to expose their sin. That's his desire. He's lovingly going to show up and say, Dad's home, let's straighten the family out. And I imagine the arrogant people's eyes would, oh no. He keeps talking about power. He keeps talking about power. Not just saying things, but actually having power power over these things. Power is, is manifest in an astonishing way is what Paul's been teaching us in 1 Corinthians. Flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18 through 25. Listen to power. For the word of the cross is foolish to those who are perishing, but it is the 
power of God to us who are being saved. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believed in the foolishness of what is preached. For the Jews ask for signs, and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, in foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet those who are called, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human wisdom. Look at uh, chapter 2, verse 1. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. I think it's funny if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10. Paul says this, For it is said, this is talking about Paul, he's quoting the, the Corinthians, For it is said, his letters are weighty and powerful, but his physical presence is weak and his public speaking amounts to nothing. Power is what Paul is talking about. And the power that Paul is talking about, the power that the kingdom of God reveals, the power that the kingdom of God shows, centers on the cross. That's the place of God's power. So if the kingdom of God is of power and the cross of Christ which is preached is the power of God, then the cross is where God's kingly power is manifest. So what is real power? What is Paul talking about? Power is the ability to change somebody. The power that Paul's talking about is the power that the cross, that the gospel has to change somebody on the inside out. But this true power is reflected in what the world sees as weakness and foolishness, the cross of Jesus Christ. What kind of king would go to a cross and die? The king who's going to defeat sin and death. Power is what the Lord says. So Paul gives them an ultimatum. So what do you want? Is what Paul says. That I should come to you with a rod? Or that I should come in love and a spirit of gentleness? I want to talk about this for a second because there's some might see this and say, well, if he comes with a rod, that's not coming in love. That's not true. What Paul's saying is if I come in a rod, I'm coming in love, but it's going to be a very different kind of love than if I can come in gentleness. It's a love that if you're not going to repent, if you're not going to turn to Christ, if you're not going to follow after what the Lord is saying, if you're not going to follow after Jesus, make the the cross of Christ what's most important, right? Center your life on the gospel. If that's not what you're going to do, then I'm going to come with the rod because we're going to have to straighten out those things because that's the most important thing. But if you'll repent now, 
if you'll turn back to Christ now, if you'll think back of the things that Timothy is reminding you of now, if you will remember that you are loved by God now, all of these things that I teach to every church everywhere, if you will remember the gospel, if you'll imitate me, if you will listen to what Timothy is going to teach you and say to you, if you'll do those things now, then I don't have to come with the rod. Come in love with a spirit of gentleness that it can be rejoicing. I think this is one of the hardest things being a father is there are times when the most loving thing you can do for those whom are under your spiritual care is to come with the rod I've thought about I think I've said this before but we've thought about this several times thinking through if your child is is running towards a train full-fledged just taking off running at a train that's coming towards them then then you as a parent or you as whoever are going to run and you're going to do everything within your power to stop your child from running into that train and if that means you tackle them you tackle them and you may bruise yourself and you may scrape yourself and you may break your bone you may hurt them you may break their bone but if you keep them from ultimate destruction you've won that's what Paul's talking It's not a rod to beat down and pulverize. It's a rod to show love. That there's a destruction that's coming. And let's also say it's not the only tool in the quiver. That if it's always the rod, if there's never encouragement, if there's never joy, if there's never building up, then there's an issue. What do you want is what Paul says. Trying to encourage this congregation. And we'll get into 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is one of the most looked at passages in regards to church discipline. And we'll see next week some of the things this church, these beloved children, these dear children is what Paul calls them, what they were doing in this church. And it's horrific. It's Paul saying, repent. Turn back to Jesus. This is not to unbelievers, to believers, to Christians, to dear children of Paul. Turn back to Christ. It's the foolish message of the cross crucified that saves sinners. It's it's not these beautifully crafted speeches that we can see. It's not cleverly edited, edited videos that we can see. It's not these long prayers meant to play and evoke on emotions that get you to make decisions in a moment of just an emotional whim. No, the foolish message of the cross is what Paul is proclaiming. That it's real change, that it's real power that takes place. This whole section, ever since verse 10 in chapter 1, has been Paul writing to this church, encouraging them to repent of their pride, to repent of their arrogance, because that's caused disunity within their local church. And when they're disunified, they're not magnifying the gospel and making it known like they're supposed to. And so Paul is coming to them as a father, and he's saying, this is your warning. Imitate me, not the world. Follow after Jesus, not the world. Because the world looks at the cross and they go, foolish. But it is the power of God to those who are being saved. 
kingdom of God's promises have been inaugurated in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. Meaning that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of power and that Jesus comes and he brings that kingdom in. And that those who repent and believe in Jesus, we are entered into the kingdom of God. So what does this mean for us? It means that you and I are called to be discipled by other people. And you and I are called to make disciples of other people as well. It's a two, two-sided coin. Do you see it? That we have other people that we trust in our life, that speak over, that walk us through life, that disciple us, that help us learn to be parents, that help us learn to do whatever it is in our job. We have people over us, people that we trust, people that open the scriptures and speak to us, that we meet with, that we're honest with, that disciple us, that make us better followers of Jesus Christ. And the flip side is true. If you're a Christian, then Jesus has called you to make disciples of all nations. That's the Great Commission, which means you're not just to be discipled, you're to make disciples. And the goal with making a disciple is training somebody yet, teaching them. And a lot of times, if you're like me, it's not these are what you do, it's this is what I've done wrong. Let me help you not make the mistakes that I've made. And it's continuous. You make disciples who can then go and make disciples, who can then go and make disciples, who can then go and make disciples, so on and so forth, all the way down. We've talked about it with this book of the Bible, but you and I, if we're believers in Jesus Christ, are a result of this process. That Paul goes and he plants this church, that he makes disciples of this church, and what are the odds that maybe somebody from this church shared the gospel with somebody else, and throughout the course of time, because that gospel was pushed down, because disciples were made, that you and I had the gospel shared with us and we believed in Jesus Christ as a result of these people. And in 100 years, 200 years, 300 years, who, what Christians, what disciples will be around because we follow the command to make disciples as well. This is far bigger and far greater than you and I. This is God's plan. To make disciples who make disciples. So the way our church does discipleship, the structures that we have set up, we have Sunday school that's for you to, to be in, to have a conversation, to walk through those things in a, a class where you can talk. We have Wednesday nights uh, where we'll do a, a rabbit trails class for the adults and we'll walk through all sorts of, of fun and, and difficult things. If you really want to go, you can teach the kids on Wednesdays. They'll teach you patience whether you want it or not. And they'll teach you that there's a massive need for the gospel in Ira. And they'll give you hope. There's uh, Sunday nights. Every now and then, every fifth Sunday, we'll do a Sunday night tough topic. We'll walk through some of the last one we went through was hell, which was an important one. The one before that, we've done suicide. We've done all sorts of tough topics that we've brought up. Come and be poured into... Turn around and pour yourself out in others too. I think the question I've been pondering this week, and it is, let's be honest, it's been a hard week in the IRA community. We were just talking with Morgan. I think this is one of the most ministry heavy weeks I've had since we've been here. 
And so I'm thinking through this passage, and I'm looking at my life, and I'm looking at Paul who's saying, imitate me because I'm imitating Christ. Timothy's imitating me because I'm imitating Christ. So really, Timothy's imitating Christ. So the question I think that we have to ask ourselves looking at this text is, is your life worth imitating? If somebody was to look at your life and to follow after who you are, if you have the right doctrine and the right practice, is your life worth imitating? Would they be a better Christian? Would they be a a deeper follower of Jesus Christ? Would they have more hope and more peace and more security? It's not meant to, to shame us if we're not that way. It's meant to encourage That's the way you should view your life. Listen, as the world keeps spinning more and more, you and I will continue, if we're believers in Jesus, to live in a fishbowl, and the world will watch us, waiting for a moment to slip up. Are you worth imitating is a question we have to ask. Does your life get to the cross? Or maybe the question you should ask is, Paul's calling these people their spiritual father because he shared the gospel with them and they repented and they believed in Jesus. Are you the spiritual father or the spiritual mother of anyone? Have you shared the gospel with somebody? Have you walked through that with them? We, we talk about it often. We haven't talked about it in a while, but who's your one? One person with your sphere of influence that you know doesn't believe in Jesus or doesn't go to church somewhere that you're going to rearrange your life for so that they might know Jesus more. That God might use you to save somebody. You can't save them. Breathe. You can't. But you can plant and you can water and God will give the growth. I think the last question that's important for us. It's not just are you worth imitating. It's who are you following. You and I are influenced by all sorts of voices and all sorts of people. Are you following somebody who is drawing you closer to Jesus, or are, they, are you following somebody who's pulling you away in different directions? You may think, I'm not following anybody. Well, then are you following yourself, and is yourself really drawing you close to Jesus? It's the same thing we tell our kids. It's the same thing your parents told you, I'm sure. Friends are very influential on your kids' lives, and they're influential on ours too. And there's a million different voices speaking to us and telling us what we should and shouldn't do, how we should and shouldn't think. Are we following the gospel-centered ones, or are we following somebody else? Because the reality is, what the world will teach us, even Christians, even some churches will teach us, is that God is distant. Maybe not, they won't ever explicitly say it, but they'll, they'll insinuate that God is distant. And what we've seen from this passage is, distant dads are easy to rebel against. If we don't think that God is with us, if we don't think that God is near, if we don't think that God is active and intervening in our world and in our life right now, then it's really easy to rebel against God. But if we understand the gospel, if we understand the Bible, if we understand what what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, don't you yourselves know that you are God's temple and the Spirit of God lives in you? 
that he's not distant, that he's dwelling amongst us. And if God's not distant, then that brings us comfort in knowing whatever we go through. This is a rough week in Ira, and we can be confident that God was not absent in it. We can be confident that God was here with us, walking through this week with us. That we can be confident in the comfort that the Lord gives. And if God's not distant, then we can be confident in understanding that we must obey the Lord. Because at the end of the day, what Paul says in verse 21 is really what Christ is talking to us about after death. What do you want? That I should come with a rod or in love in a spirit of gentleness? The gospel has done the work of salvation. Jesus has done the work of salvation. You and I repent and we believe in Jesus and we hold tight to him and he's going to hold tighter to us and we follow after Christ. We're not going to be perfect, but we repent and we grow in the Lord more and more each and every day because we want to see Christ in a spirit of love and of gentleness. I promise you that. And it's also a motivation to share the gospel because hell is real. There is an eternal punishment. We cannot water it down. Make disciples. Be a disciple. Trust in the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. We're not promised tomorrow. God, this week has taught us that we're not promised tomorrow. So we do thank you for today. God, I thank you that we do get to gather together, that we can hear your word proclaimed, that we can walk through 1 Corinthians book, uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. That you're not absent in these things. Your word is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to cut deep into the heart. Because your kingdom is a kingdom of power, not of weakness, not of just talk. It's a kingdom of substance. It's a kingdom that never ends. And you are a king who rules forever. So I pray this morning, God, for the believers who are here that you would help us to step back from our lives, to look at our life and and ask the question genuinely, am I worth imitating? Is my life worth emulating for other believers? Am I going to your cross? Am I repenting of my sins? Am I loving my brothers and sisters in Christ? Am I encouraging? God, it's worth us asking, what voices am I listening to? Your truth is for every church everywhere, for every believer in all uh, the, the world. But it's a truth that's seen as foolishness and weakness through the world. Help us to be encouraged, God. That you are a God of power. And it's not some harsh 
mean power that just crushes us. It's a power of love. It's a power of grace. It's a power of mercy that can actually save sinners from hell. God, so I pray for the believers that you'd help us to trust in that truth. God, I pray for any unbelievers who are here, hear this message. That you would stir new life in them. That you'd help them to repent of their sin and that they would turn to you, Jesus. They would glory in you and make much of the gospel. Thank you, Jesus, for the finished work of the cross. It's in your name we pray. Amen.